Okay, just a couple of things as well. Um, if you want to um, still be in community over the summer, um, intentionally, we have two life groups running over the summer. Jules and Ian are running a group and Michael and Hazel. And I just really encourage you, you can go to it, even if you're going away for a couple of weeks, you can still go to the life group and just miss those two weeks, but carry on throughout the summer. And those are amazing places to just stay in community. They've both got different flavors, but they're accessible to anybody. So if you want to know more about that, it'll be on Facebook and please speak to those guys. And also, since we're talking about going overseas, um, Malcolm and Malene are actually heading to Portugal this week on Thursday. Yep. Um, they are going to visit Malene's family, but also they're intentionally going to do mission to really share God's love. And we just want to pray for them as a church. And I really encourage you after in the cafe and the foyer, get chatting to Malcolm and Malene and just encourage them because it's amazing that they're getting to do that this summer. Is that all? Good. Okay, so Nehemiah, we have been studying the book of Nehemiah for what feels like quite a while, and today some of you might be happy to realize this is the last one, and some of you might be sad to realize this is the last one. We've been on a real journey with this book in the Bible, and I hope that you have found it beneficial. There's been many challenges and many questions to us along the way, and I am going to highlight some of them again this morning. And I just love it that we all get something different out of this. Every single person sitting here today will go away from this morning with something different. Every single one of you will go away with something different from the whole series we've done. And I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, and they mentioned something that I'd said when I spoke about chapter two. And then it was when Nehemiah had made all his plans, and he knew what he had to do. And the king, he'd gone to the king to ask for his favor. And the king said to him, what is it that you want? And the little line in chapter two was, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. And I made the point that even though Nehemiah had prayed about this for a long time and made his plans that he still did up that little arrow prayer that, okay, God, help me, help me to answer this well. And that person had really loved that and had put that into practice in their own life that they had, um, when they were having conversations, they were just putting up those little prayers to God. Okay, God, I pray to you, help me here. And we would really love to know what you're taking away from this. You know, what are you going to apply to your life's journey from this study of the book of Nehemiah? So please feel free to chat to us or email and tell us what you're going to be taking away. So right at the beginning, when we started Nehemiah, we learned that he was cupbearer to the king in a foreign land. He hears that the walls of the city of Jerusalem are broken down and destroyed. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays. He goes to God first, and then he cries out to him, and then he takes action. That was one of the first things we learned about this. And I have loads of questions rising up from the things that we've learned. I, we asked these questions at the time, and I'm reminding you of them today. Do we keep our hearts soft? Do we open our eyes to see injustice? Do we open our eyes to see the things that are broken in the lives of those around us, in our community, in our world? Do we cry out to God about those things? Do we do something about it? Do we let God speak, and then do we let him equip us and take action? 
So next, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem. He surveys everything that needs done, and he shows great leadership by recruiting people to the vision. We read about people making repairs outside their own homes, doing what they can, where they are with what they've got. As we say in this church, everyone gets to play. So another question today is, do we take our place? Do we get involved? Do we stand side by side with others and take part in this rebuilding work? We also find out that they face a lot of opposition. Nehemiah prays about the opposition and he takes action so that the people of God can protect themselves and stand their ground. They don't give in to fear, but they trust in God and listen for his direction. Another thing for us, we're called to stand our ground. Another question, do we put on the armor of God? Do we trust that God will fight for us? We sang it this morning, he's fighting our battles. Nehemiah shows great leadership again in chapter 6 when he confronts problems amongst all of the people. There's a possibility of injustice and division amongst them. He models generosity himself and benefits people. And um, chapter 6 verse 9 is a key verse that you might remember. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And that can be our prayer today. God, we need you. If we're going to do all these things, you need to strengthen our hands. So the wall gets built. And it's not just about the physical wall being built. It's what it represents. Dignity is going to be restored. A sense of community for the people of God um, to be able to live and worship. And Nehemiah speaks about what God has put in his heart to do. And another question for you. What has God put in your heart to do? Are you asking God, God, what have you put in my heart to do? We heard in chapter 8 how the people heard from the word of the Lord read by Ezra. Their response was to fall face down to worship God. There was weeping and mourning followed by celebration. And another verse in chapter 8 verse 10 that you may have seen before. This day is sacred to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that is still our story. God comes to broken people to restore and redeem. That is the good news. That is the God we serve. And I love that we've seen God do this in our own community. I love that we've seen God strengthen those who are mourning and place community around them. It's been a wonderful thing to see. Then we did chapter 9 and 10. Johnny shared with us how the people of Israel rediscovered who God is and who he says they are. God was faithful even though they strayed away. Another thing true for us. We stray away, but God stays faithful. The people realize their responsibilities. They repent. They confess. God is merciful. He knows what they need even when they walk away. And that's them getting back on course. And that's another thing for us. Will we choose when we stray away, when we wander, to get back on course with God? Will we choose to repent, to confess? And when the people do that, when they make their commitment, they step up even more and they pledge their first fruits. You can have it all, Lord. Again, another question for you today. Are you on course with God? Are you surrendering your all? Does he have our first fruits? Are we open-handed with all that we have? So that is a whistle-stop tour of all the weeks. And now we come to chapter 11, which is the new residence of Jerusalem. 
Verse 1 and 2 simply says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own homes. Towns, sorry. The people commanded all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So it wasn't enough to just see the city walls rebuilt and the spiritual renewal of the people in Jerusalem. They now wanted more people to come, more people to come into the city. They wanted the city to prosper and to be fully restored. And for that, they needed people, more people. They knew there was more. They didn't just stop and go, oh, aren't we great? Pat ourselves on the back. We've built the walls. We've rebuilt the temple. And that is the same for us. We believe there's more. That's our heart too. You know, we have seen our church growing. We have seen lives are changing. But we want to see our community prosper. We want to see it overflowing with the kingdom of God all over the place. For more than 70 years, Jerusalem had been nothing but a ghost town. You know, people slag off Carrick. People say not very nice things about Carrick. And Their heart is to see the city change, repopulated, regenerated. And I just think, wow, if that would be our heart for our towns and our communities. Nehemiah knew that the greater the people, the greater the population, the greater the resources for defense and strength in battle. Verse 2 says, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So there's people all around in the surrounding countryside and some of them come to live in the city of Jerusalem. And that wasn't an easy thing to do. The people who went to dwell in the city had to have a unique pioneer spirit. It wasn't the easy option. You know, they had to give up their, their work on the land, the things they were doing. When they came to Jerusalem, they had to find new ways to resource themselves, maybe businesses or whatever. They had to leave behind what they knew, family, friends, and their old village. They had to adjust to a new way of life. You know, Jerusalem was being rebuilt, but it wasn't this glitzy, finished place. It wasn't a glamorous place. It was still a work in progress. And remember, we read earlier in Nehemiah about all the opposition they'd faced in the rebuilding. If you went and lived in that city, you made yourself a target for the enemy. And it wasn't just robbers anymore now that the city was rebuilt. It would be armies could attack. So if you do, if you come and live in that city, you're taking a risk to relocate. And we believe we're called to see God's kingdom come in our lives and community. And another question for you this morning, do we willingly offer ourselves to his purposes? Are we willing to leave stuff behind? Are we willing to lay stuff down, to reassess our priorities? You know, the work of God is not always glamorous. We might have to put ourselves in the firing line for opposition. Living for God is not always the comfortable option. Throughout chapter 11, we hear different roles. There's supervisors, associates, some in charge of the outside work, some in charge of thanksgiving and prayer, gatekeepers, temple servants. And when I read that, I just thought, so many different roles. Everyone has their part to play. And I want to say that to you guys this morning. Every single one of you here has your part to play. Don't look and think, oh, the person next to me 
that's their job or they'll do that. Every single person, whether you've been here for one week or you've been here for five years, everyone has their part to play to see our community thrive. You know, we have seen our church grow loads over the last while. It was amazing last Sunday to baptize 15 people. And we are praying for more people to come, more people to experience the life and the love that Jesus gives, more people to come to faith. But we need to give it away, guys. If new people come to our church and we just sit in our little wee world with the people we always know, if we don't stand and come to the front and pray for them, if we don't join them in life groups and share our lives, share our stories, if we don't chat, if we don't make them feel welcome, how will they grow? How will they become disciples? If we don't give of our resources financially to see God's kingdom extend, like Nehemiah gave of himself, We will have the joy of seeing things change and grow if we give of ourselves. And it's not just about people coming here and seeing our church grow. That's not what I mean. It's about us giving it away, becoming scattered servants in our community. You know, for me, I don't want to stay the same. I want to see lives change, you know. I despair when I watch the news. Like on Friday, was it Friday? Every time I turned the news on, I cried. I don't know if it's because that lady, Jo Cox, is the same age as me or because she has two young children. But what happened is so wrong. Whenever I go about my everyday life, last week I prayed for a mom from school who has cancer. Whenever I talk to people and they're suffering from anxiety, addiction, whatever it is, that is not God's design. That is not God's heart for our community. And I want to see lives change. And it starts with me. I need to allow God to break my heart with the things that break his. And we sang this morning, there's an army rising up. Who's the army? It's us, church. We are the army. It's not the person beside you. It's us. It starts with us. So, chapter 12, getting excited. The dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. So, this chapter is so much about thanksgiving, worship, and celebration. I'm going to skip right. You'll be happy to hear it in verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nepathrites, from Beth Gilgal, from the area of Giba and Asmaveth, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So the Levites had loads of responsibilities in the life and worship of Israel, but one of the most important things they had was to lead the people in songs of worship. They were specially appointed to use their instruments to lead the people. And we can see from this, they were worshippers, not just when they were called into the city to lead, But all of the time, it was part of their lives. It was who they were, their community. It says here they had built villages for themselves. They had built communities where they worshipped. And I love this about worship in our church. You know, the guys who stood up here to lead this morning, they are not doing that because they like music. They're not just doing it for show. They have a heart for worship on their own 
Not when they're just when they're standing up at the front. I love that they're building team, they're building community, they're caring for one another, and they're protecting something precious, which is the heart of worship in our church. You know, when we planted this church in 2010, we intentionally asked Phil and Hannah, our friends, to come from England to establish worship at the center of our church. And we're so grateful to Sarah Ann and the team who are carrying that on now. Right from the beginning, worship is a key value of our church. It's central to who we are. God commands us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to give him glory. And how we do that is we can worship him in song and music, as we see in this scripture. By worshiping him, we are celebrating and we are giving thanks for all he has done. And we see in this chapter, they are intentional in their worship. Verse 31, Nehemiah says, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks You know, they're talking about their instruments, the places they take in the house of God. And I believe that we need to be intentional in our worship too. We need to choose to give God glory and worship and praise and thanksgiving. And that glorifies him. And the amazing byproduct is that it changes us. You know, if you're a part of Carrot Vineyard, you need to know worship's not the wee nicey-nicey, singy-songy warm-up bit at the start that you can just come in halfway through and, oh, well, doesn't matter if we miss that part. Worship is the main event. We need to worship God. He deserves our glory and our adoration. And as we worship him, he changes us. Paul said it earlier. It's about his presence. And when we encounter his presence power comes. He gives us his power. He gives us his authority. How are we going to go out and rebuild broken walls without it? We need God. And God has spoken to me personally in times of corporate worship like this time and time again. It's the place he gives me passion. It's the place he gives me vision. It's the place he just gives me his heart and I want to see things change. And in verse 42 and 43 of this chapter, it says, The choir sang under the direction of Jezreeniah, and on that day they offered great, great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. How wonderful is that? The joy in the worship was so overflowing, it could be heard far and wide. And when I read that, I asked myself, what's overflowing from us? What do people around us hear from the people of God? Do they hear the sound of rejoicing? You know, I love the words of the song, open up the doors and let the music play. Let the streets resound with singing. Songs that bring your hope and your joy. Dancers who dance upon injustice. How much is that needed in our world? Songs that bring hope and joy. What sound do people hear from me, from Chantel? As a Christian, do people hear... Am I a carrier of worship and joy or do I moan and groan and be negative and critical? What sound do they hear from Carrick Vineyard? You know, are we known as a people who rejoice and give God glory? And oh, that that would be a mark of our town of Carrick Fergus, that the sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. Chapter 13, we hear about Nehemiah's final reforms. And we've seen in the last two chapters, they draw near to God, they worship, they read from the book of Moses, from the word of God. And when we truly worship, when we truly hear God's word, it leads to an awareness of God's standards and a desire for obedience. 
And when Nehemiah, in chapter 13, he realizes there's some things need sorted out here, guys. He's been away from Jerusalem in verse 6. It says, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I'd asked his permission and came back. So he's gone back to where he was in Persia, and he's returned to Jerusalem. But there's things that need to change. First of all, he comes back to the temple, verses 4 to 9. He finds out that the priest has given room to the guy, Tobiah, who we heard about before. He's been opposing them as they rebuilt. It says, Nehemiah is greatly displeased. It grieved him bitterly because the rooms were being occupied by someone who opposed God. Tobiah hadn't turned over a new leaf. And it says, therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Again, Nehemiah doesn't go, oh, look at that. They've let someone bad use the rooms in the house of God. Oh, dear. Well, we better be nice. We better just let him get on with it. He's like, no, this is wrong, and I am going to do something about it. So he takes action. It's like when Jesus cleansed the temple from the people who are dishonoring it. They're not just going to go, oh, dear, never mind. They're take, they're, they've got the wisdom to know when to take bold action. And again, for us, is that true of us? Secondly, financial reforms, verse 10. He learns that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, that the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? I called them together and stationed them at their posts. The people had not been obeying God regarding their giving. Because of the lack of support, the people who should have been given their time to serve had to go back to their fields, go back to earn some money somewhere else. And Nehemiah is asking, why is the house of God neglected? The lack of giving was forsaking the house of God. And Nehemiah again takes action. I gathered them all together and set them in their place. He makes sure trustworthy people are in charge of the giving. And again, a challenge. I feel like I'm throwing them out here today. Are we honoring God with our giving? Are we giving our first fruits to him so the work of the kingdom can take place? And that applies to our finances as well as every other part of our lives. Then he sees that people are treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And that was, again, disobeying God's command to respect the Sabbath. That was about their priorities. It's not wrong to be doing things, to be buying and selling. But when the desire becomes more important than honoring God, then that's wrong. So Nehemiah again doesn't sit still. He threatens, if you do this again, I will lay hands on you. And I don't think he was like, oh, I'll lay hands on you and pray and be nice. He was meaning I will lay hands on you to correct you. Again, what are our priorities? Are we putting honor and glory of God above everything else? And the last thing in verses 23 to 31. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashod, Ammon, and Moab, while Nehemiah had gone back, the Jews, the Israelites had resumed their practice of intermarrying with other nations, which was again disobeying God's command. And another question for us today, do we honor God with our relationships? Nehemiah sees things that are wrong and unjust. He shows strong leadership. He takes action. He looks for those who are trustworthy. And in chapter 13, he says, remember me, God. At the end of it all, Nehemiah knew he'd done his best to make the people of God strong, safe, and secure. And beyond that, he'd led them to be a people who were pure, 
who were worshipful, who were obeying God. In verse 14, he says, Remember me for this, my God. Do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of God and its services. Verse 22, he says it again. Remember me for this also, my God. Show mercy to me according to your great love. You know, there's so much we can learn from the book of Nehemiah. And I know you're all going to go away with something different. Hopefully, even from this morning, something different will step, stand out to each one of you. Depend on your, on your filters, depending on what God's doing on your life right now. But Nehemiah says, remember me, O God. And that's the question I want to leave you with this morning. If you're going to say that to God, if you were going to say, remember me for this, what are you going to ask God to remember you for? What would it be? Remember me, O God, for what's it going to be?